welcome to this Ashall Media podcast, supporting a growing community of financial advisors. This is a follow-up to the first one of these uh, presentations I did back in July, where we look backwards at markets and see what has impacted asset class returns, and we project forwards to the medium term to see what is likely to follow and what is likely to happen next. Let's get going. Okay, so we first wrote about this uh, interesting topic back in February. Uh, the article titled The Great Normalization can be found in the blog section. Please scroll back through to February to download the article. You can obviously read and send it on to clients if you consider it to be appropriate. But it basically discusses um, the likely path for uh, asset classes, uh, bond yields, currencies. And um, it's a decent background document if uh, investors are struggling to come to terms with what's happened and uh, perhaps what may uh, go on to happen from here. Okay, let's uh, let's move on. So, of course, asset class correlations and covariances are a long-standing and, and broadly relied upon uh, aspect of, uh, indeed, the backbone of, of um, portfolio construction. Um, the interconnectedness between asset classes, how they perform under different market stimuli, is uh, is pretty well known. And of course, a higher risk uh, investment portfolio would comprise um, a heavier weighting to equities, uh, probably global equities and some emerging markets equities. A balanced portfolio for a balanced risk investor, typically 60% equities, 40% bonds or thereabouts, uh, international in flavor. And of course, um, a low risk investor would expect to have a higher weighting in fixed income securities, uh, some cash and some lower risk type equities. That's the typical norm, that's the uh, that's convention. Uh, from time to time, there are markets and market stimuli which make the uh, individual performances attaching to each of those asset classes to perform differently. Um, and outside of those norms. And indeed, that is what has happened this year broadly, where different asset classes have performed very much in sync with one another, reacting to um, particular set of economic and geopolitical stimuli. Let's look at this in a little bit more detail. The left-hand panel on the wavy chart will will show that um, correlations tend to break down when markets become increasingly volatile. And of course, that is what's happened this year, particularly around the fixed income markets, um, but also equity markets as well, but notably fixed income this year. The patchwork quilt of um, asset class returns going from 2013 up to 2022, October, will give you a, a clear view about the different level of um, market returns for different asset types. And in the far right-hand column, the annualized returns at asset class level. 2022 is, as you can see, um, very different, quite distinct indeed, um, where commodities have um, reacted favorably to a geo, a geopolitical stimuli um, from, of course, um, Vladimir Putin, 
with uh, energy costs soaring, uh, food commodities soaring in, in price, um, aided and abetted, of course, by a stronger dollar, which um, those commodities typically are priced in. And commodities have done well. Cash is, um, is positive, 0.4%, not anything to write home about, but nevertheless is positive. All other asset classes on this particular uh, quilt are negative for the year to date and some deeply negative. US equities, for example, the long run returns winner, as you can see from the annualized um, column, but uh, year to date down a, a notable 25% um, or thereabouts deep into bear market territory. So assets have performed pretty much in sync all falling together this year, with a notable exception of some commodities and, and cash. So effectively, there has been nowhere to hide, whether you're a high risk investor, a balanced risk investor, or of course, a low risk investor. All of your portfolio weightings have made very little difference and asset classes have performed broadly in sync with one another, typically falling. The classic balance risk portfolio is the 60-40, 60% equities, 40% fixed income. And in the US, this is the backbone for long-term investment. And over the long run, for a US uh, domiciled investor investing in US equities and US treasuries, the long run average return is around 9%, which is, uh, of course, uh, decent. Um, but this year has delivered the worst performance, I'm sad to report, in around about 100 years. If we then transpose the 60-40 portfolio back into um, UK and have a look and see, I, I've here compared the 60-40 portfolio from Vanguard, which is a strategic asset allocation uh, portfolio where the uh, asset weights typically don't change. And I've compared that to our own alpha beta um, AB4, uh, which is our balance risk um, type approach, which is actively managed passive securities with uh, dynamic asset allocation and a, a pretty strong uh, risk management process um, layered on top of that. So, you know, UK returns from 60-40, have um, been better than the US, quite notably better. And of course, I'm bound to point to the alpha beta strategy, which um, through dynamic asset allocation and the strong risk management process has um, outperformed. But nevertheless, um, you know, we, we can't be complacent about a negative total return. And, um, you know, markets have been certainly troubling um, this year. So what has driven returns, notably in the fixed income markets? Well, it's, of course, down to inflation. It's down to economic slowdown. It's down to interest rates. But very much in the UK, um, this has been accentuated by the unfunded budget from the former uh, Chancellor, Kwasi Kwarteng, and the former PM, Liz Truss, which, you know, was well intended, you know, let's be clear, I don't think there was anything, there was no malaforethought, but nevertheless, the implementation left something to be desired. Yeah. And of course, the uh, 
um, impact to um, the government bonds, which, you know, when I went to school were considered to be the risk-free asset, has been notable with very deep total return losses um, for the period measured, uh, akin to, would you believe, uh, Bitcoin. So, you know, uh, this year has been remarkable at a number of levels where the risk-free asset in UK has delivered performance akin to a cryptocurrency. The uh, long-run yields on gilts, of course, spiked up, and as we know, as yields go higher, capital values go lower, and the yields spike back up from near zero to the long-run average of around 4.5%, uh, slightly higher at one stage. Typically, where markets get this volatile, um, there's always the chance of something breaking. Uh, and of course, in the UK, uh, that came to pass in the guise of the liability-driven investment uh, segment of the institutional pensions market, which suffered some significant um, downdrafts and some significant losses where a number of those large defined benefit pension schemes were in danger of becoming insolvent, such that the Bank of England had to step in and had to um, provide bailouts um, through short-term quantitative easing to um, resolve the situation. So it became quite serious. And it's not just been in UK, fixed income markets have become difficult in the US and other major markets too. And this chart um, extracted here from Bloomberg is really trying to demonstrate the typical returns where um, equities can be moving upwards and bonds can be gently moving downwards. And they tend to balance out uh, performance and risk over time. But if we come to the um, furthest right two columns, you can see um, the US equity market, the S&P 500, and the 20-year uh, dated Treasury bond uh, falling in sync, indeed, where the Treasury bond has actually fallen more than uh, US equities. In fact, it's been notable that the, the VIX, which is the um, the volatility index, which measures the volatility of US equities versus the move index, which is um, the volatility index for fixed income securities. The move index has actually spiked higher than the VIX index this year. Uh, so quite distinct and quite different uh, to what has become uh, the hitherto norm. Despite these um, interesting markets and, and challenging times, the US dollar um, being the global reserve currency, the safe haven, the port in a storm, um, the US currency has performed extremely well, as you can see here in the right-hand panel, where the, the greenback, as it's known, the US dollar has enjoyed its best ever year. There will, of course, become a time when the US dollar rolls over, when it starts to, to weaken. Um, this has the potential to uh, create one or two difficulties for um, 
investment managers and we at Alpha Beta Partners are already thinking carefully about how we react to um, the potential for uh, US, um, US dollars to, to start a, a gradual decline. The strength of the US dollar since markets have become um, troublesome has been helpful and certainly provided a quite a strong buoyancy aid to alpha beta portfolios, um, where of course we hold um, around about 30% of our US equity, um, our, our equity component in um, US dollars, which has um, certainly helped um, our relative performance. But of course, you know, it has had a detrimental effect as I mentioned earlier, with regards to commodities, which certainly oil and certain foodstuffs are priced in dollars. So it's a bit of a double-edged sword, but uh, for investors in alpha-beta strategies, you know, the, the strength of the dollar has been a great um, assistance here to date. Let's move on. So uh, many of us will be thinking, are we near uh, the bottom yet and have markets reached the point where they can rebound. Um, from our point of view, we think there may still be some uh, further um, capitulation still to come through from equities. The price to earnings ratio on US equities uh, at the uh, at the bottom of a bear market uh, where markets have capitulated and then start to move upwards is around about 11.7 to 12 times earnings and we're still around about 16 to 18 times earnings at the moment we are likely to be buyers of us equities as and when they fall to a price to earnings ratio of around about 14 times when is that likely to happen i think a lot is to do with inflation a lot is to do with the persistence of the Federal Reserve policy for tightening um, monetary policy, uh, hiking interest rates, and, and there's probably still a little further to go there uh, where rates are likely to peak perhaps early uh, next year. And as you can see, hopefully on the right hand panel there, with inflation now falling, and I think we're confident that inflation has peaked in, in the US and possibly even here at home, the downward trajectory for inflation needs to be quite significant in order for the headline inflation level um, to fall uh, down to the required target of about 2%. The um, CPI basket is um, reasonably diversified, but around about a third of it is made up of what is known as shelter, which takes into account mortgage costs and takes into account um, rental uh, costs and both of these are functions of the US housing market which is certainly slowing down and slowing down quite quickly but it certainly takes a fair amount of time for that slowdown to feed all the way through the data and to be felt by um, people renting homes or people buying homes so you know it's going to take a little bit longer yet as we see it let's move on so let's have a quick look at um, the possible trajectory for us interest rates we've got a couple of slides on this one the first one is the 
good old Federal Reserve dot plot as it's known, and we looked at this back in July. It has moved since then. Each dot represents a, a member of the Federal Reserve Open Markets Committee, the committee within the Fed, which is responsible for setting US uh, interest rate policy. And if you follow the green line, that's uh, the view, the forward view for US rates, not from anyone else other than the members of the uh, interest rate setting committee themselves. So, you know, it's a reasonable view, but you can see rates are likely to peak uh, early next year before they stabilize and begin to move down. At an investment level, you can see there the probability for Alpha Beta and indeed other managers too, I'm sure, to ride the storm a little bit longer before we begin to place um, the next round of fixed income moves towards the longer end of the, the yield curve, because of course, as yields fall, uh, linked with interest rates, then capital values stabilize and rise. So let's move on and, and look slightly deeper at uh, the possible outcome for US interest rates. And um, these are a couple of tables produced by FedWatch and they take into account data on a daily basis. And these two charts are just one week apart. And uh, what I've tried to do here is to, to show you the, the speed at which um, interest rates are moving and the uh, probability for rates um, moving out from here. And, and you can see it is likely that rates will peak around about the four and three quarter to five percent level in the US. And probably around um, March, April, May time next year, um, followed by a period of stability at that level before late next year starting to fall. So as it's known, the Federal Reserve pivot and the pivot being the change in interest rate uh, setting policy won't come for some time yet. But as we know, equities in particular are very much a forward looking asset class. They uh, discount uh, the future back to today's value. So equity markets are likely to move up positively uh, before interest rates begin to fall. And um, if you take a moment to look at these two charts, you can see how things have moved quite quickly, actually, in just the period of one week. The, the quotes at the bottom of the slide just really give um, a view, and, and I've clipped these from various publications, the, the date following um, the most recent Federal Reserve um, meeting and you can see the overwhelming message to the market from the Fed is, you know, one of uh, killing the inflation dragon. And, you know, they won't rest until until the job is done. Let's move on. So thinking about not resting until the job is done, the um, chairman of the Federal Reserve, Jerome Powell, his self-confessed uh, fan of the gentleman in the left-hand panel, uh, Paul Volcker, who is a, a, a large uh, celebrity in central banking communities for many years and uh, 
a large man in many ways, stood about six foot seven tall and was quite charismatic, uh, smoked a cigar in meetings, which you were allowed to do in those days. But um, Paul Volcker was uh, synonymous for raising US rates to the heady heights of 15% uh, back in the early 80s in a, a strong and indeed successful attempt to squash inflation out of the system from um, the uh, oil crisis from the 70s, which some of us will remember created um, runaway inflation in, in developed markets. So Paul Volcker, not a bad guy, actually. Um, you know, he, he did many other things. He created the Volcker rule, which was a very successful strategy to um, tame investment banks following uh, some, uh, how should I put it, unruly behavior. But nevertheless, he's best known for hiking rates. And I think it's important to, to mention him in the context of today's Federal Reserve because um, Jerome Powell is a great fan of Paul Volcker. So um, in many ways, emulating uh, his moves, although uh, unlikely to see rates uh, peaking at 15% this time, uh, we certainly hope anyway, um, but uh, likely to peak around four and three quarters to 5% in US um, early next year. Let's move on. So we mentioned earlier when markets get volatile and, and certainly when interest rates spike up very quickly from very low levels, which is certainly the case this time, there's always the potential for something to break. And um, we've been tracking the US housing market for quite some time. It's enjoyed very strong returns on the back of financial repression not at all dissimilar to, to the UK market and indeed the German market. And, um, you know, the average house price in the US has, has um, soared in value, even more so actually than the UK in the last 24 months or so. However, times they are changing. Now in US, the average mortgage is a 30-year fixed rate mortgage. And you can see in the left-hand panel, the very steep rise in the cost of borrowing in US. In the right-hand panel, you can see the additional salary that individuals uh, will need to earn in order to simply maintain their mortgage payments. So it's going to be extremely tough for the US uh, residential house market, and there is potential for this market to, uh, to crack and to fall, and we're mindful of um, any uh, excess activity following um, strong interest uh, rate rises in US. Let's move on. Continuing with the uh, taming inflation theme in the left hand panel, you can hopefully see the black line, which is inflation expectations, and you can see it falling here quite steeply. And you can see the red line here, hopefully too, which is Fed funds, which is US interest rates. In a monetarist regime, which is certainly the case, we will see real rates needing to go positive and sit on top of inflation for a period of time. This is what we expect. We do expect inflation to continue falling and indeed falling quite steeply from here 
we expect interest rates to nudge up a little further, stabilizing and then starting to fall away, as we said in the previous slide. Likewise, uh, central banks for the major developed markets, whether it's US, whether it's Europe, uh, Japan is a little different. Um, but and indeed, of course, our good friends at home, the Bank of England, have um, significantly raised rates and we are starting to see quantitative tightening coming through as well. QT, as it's known, is the removal of liquidity from the system. Indeed, QT is exactly the opposite of QE. So in the past, we saw lots of excess liquidity pumped in to try and rescue markets and rescue global economies from the 2008 global financial crisis and then more recently the uh, COVID pandemic. But uh, now we seem to have um, both of those behind us. That liquidity is being removed and interest rates are equally rising, taking even further liquidity out. And of course, this is giving rise to significant market volatility, significant falls in asset class valuations and making uh, investors feel uh, somewhat uncomfortable. Let's move on. Uncomfortable uh, investors quite often wonder, should they stick with it or should they throw in the towel? Should they leave? Should they sell their portfolios? and revert to cash. Well, reverting to cash in an environment where inflation is ranging anything from 8 to 10% um, makes only limited sense, of course. It might provide a stop loss for a short period of time, but then timing the market and getting back in again is particularly difficult. And uh, in the left-hand panel, you can see the impact of doing just that. If you remained fully invested over the period, um, you can see, you know, the valuation of this strategy was up around 7.7%. But if you miss the best 20 days, and as we know, markets can recover quite quickly, they can also fall quickly too. But nevertheless, if you miss the best 20 days, that strategy is actually down 27%. Missing the best five days, you lose 6.3% total return. And um, missing the best three days, around uh, about 2%. So, you know, it's very difficult. I fully appreciate investors sometimes just want to throw in the towel and, and move on. It is important to stick with it if, if you can. Um, and, you know, by doing so, you will ride out the peaks and troughs. And over the long run, and investing is a long-term game, um, you know, in investment returns, um, have performed extremely well and are likely to continue doing so over the long run. Okay, so inflation. Um, inflation is peaking, as we said earlier on in the left-hand panel, hopefully you can see various measures of inflation peaking, whether it's um, used cars, whether it's uh, gasoline, whether it's um, food, um, whether it's alcoholic beverages or what have you. Um, th there's a common theme, and that is one of peaking inflation, some of which are now starting to roll over and, and trend lower. And uh, in, in the right-hand panel, you can see with inflation beginning to fall, even though inflation is beginning to fall, it will take some time to feed through to those um, headline numbers, as we mentioned earlier. Let's move on.
So when is bad news also good news? It sounds almost oxymoronic, but as the Federal Reserve and other central banks appear to be trying to create some sort of recession uh, to slow markets down, will this have a positive impact on inflation? Does uh, causing an economic slowdown actually do the job? Does it work? Well, you know, history says emphatically yes. Um, unfortunately, in many ways, creating an, a recession, creating some pain uh, for people um, financially does reduce demand very significantly and does draw back inflationary pressure. And, you know, take a moment or two to analyse this particular chart over different years and the average, uh, which is shown at the bottom. But, you know, typically inflation is is brought to heal um, quite strongly by the onset of, of uh, inflationary pressure. So what else could help us? Well, of course, we have uh, endured um, some significant uh, geopolitical stress from uh, our friend in the uh, top left um, photograph, um, Mr. Vladimir Putin, uh, responsible, of course, for invading Ukraine and causing all sorts of hiatus. Um, Europe's uh, energy dependency upon um, Russian gas and indeed, you know, gas in, in general is significant. And you can see uh, a, a very significant reliance there. The price of liquid natural gas has begun to fall quite, uh, quite uh, steeply as markets have uh, seen uh, storage facilities being maintained. Uh, we've so far benefited from uh, a reasonably warm autumn. And there are a number of moves, which is, is in many ways surprising in the, in the gas market, which has seen very steep uh, reductions in, in prices. Long may that continue. Of course, any sort of resolution out of Ukraine can only bring uh, relief to markets and, of course, will be met by a strong upward revision to asset class valuations. Obvious stuff. Let's move on. So what about valuation? Are equities cheap now? Is now a good time to go back in? Can we go out bargain hunting? Well, I've looked here at, at simply just two measures of valuation for US equities here in particular. The first one is known as the cyclically adjusted price to earnings ratio, also known as the Schiller. And um, whilst this is, is notably down from its high point, it's still not radically cheap. If we look at the more conventional price to earnings ratio in the bottom panel, uh, you can see, again, not cheap, but certainly fair value. So from an alpha beta partner's point of view, we're not saying markets are cheap yet. But what we are saying is that markets are representing fair value. There is certainly a potential for markets to become slightly more attractively priced from here. And, and yes, that does mean potential for more equity market falls. But should that happen, then markets will become increasingly attractive. 
And of course, the old adage by the sage of Omaha, Mr. Warren Buffett, the world's most successful investor, is to be brave when others are fearful. And certainly, Alpha Beta will be eyeing the uh, opportunities within the equity market uh, globally uh, as they continue to fall. So we will be buying equities at what we consider to be attractive valuations as markets continue to trend. Let's move on. So in terms of the, the cycle, the investment cycle, where are we and what are we likely to see next in terms of portfolio construction, uh, asset management strategy? So what we've done here, uh, thanks to the macro compass, we've broken down the, um, the economic uh, model into four quadrants. And we are currently uh, clearly annotated here in quadrant number four at the, at the lowest point in the cycle. Um, we're holding excess levels of cash, uh, anything up to 15, 16% in low risk strategies and anything up to 10, 11, 12% in balanced strategies. So we're currently overweight cash. And as rates begin to peak and begin falling, we will start to move into quadrant number one, where we will start to allocate more to um, emerging market equities as they benefit from um, the reduction in the um, strength of the US dollar and we will start to allocate more to developed market stocks and longer dated uh, fixed income securities. As any recovery becomes more embedded then we move across into quadrant number two where we um, gear up our holdings in equities and real estate and more broadly across the risk asset base before, of course, we head down into quadrant three and the cycle repeats itself. So that is the uh, schematic. And I, th I think this is quite instructive and quite useful and hopefully will give um, you a, a clear view of, of likely moves from here. Let's move on. So, of course, over the very long run, uh, equity markets have performed extremely well. And, and in fact, this isn't indeed the very long run. This is a chart of the S&P 500, the Fortune 500, as it's known in the US, the top 500 US equities uh, from around about 2013 up to um, today's date. And you can see it, it's a classic chart, you know, from bottom left to top right, more or less with some volatility along the way. Uh, you can see um, the taper tantrum, you can see the COVID downdraft, and you can see the current rebasing of um, equity values. So whilst this is quite a significant stock market event um, this year, you can hopefully see that um, in the long run, medium term effectively, um, you know, it becomes less painful and equities have performed uh, extremely well. And, and we see no reason for this to change radically from here. 
Over the period, I just want to highlight there have been a couple of changes in, in, the, in the strategy since um, we did the last presentation. Uh, as you would expect, in difficult markets, we raised cash. So we sold US equities to, indeed equities in general, to, to raise, um, raise cash. And, um, you know, we've also um, sold down some shorter dated fixed income which was sensible because the short end was being impacted by the imminence of interest rate hikes um, in US and other developed markets around the world. Good news, there have been no portfolio risk corridor breaches during the period. So again, that's testament to the Alpha Beta uh, risk management process, our risk first approach. There have been no breaches at a volatility level. So good news. Okay, by way of a quick summary and uh, key takeaway points, um, at the high level, we expect markets to recalibrate to what we consider to be the new regime, which is one of inflation. Um, inflation falling away, but remaining perhaps higher for longer. We see, of course, a trend towards tighter monetary policy, higher interest rates, and central banks in most developed markets um, withdrawing liquidity. At a valuation level, we see markets being fair value, uh, but not cheap, but certainly fair. And uh, at an alpha beta partners level, we will begin to move back into equities in the not too distant future as valuations perhaps become slightly more attractive. Over the short term, recessionary pressures and you know in some ways as highlighted uh, bad news is good news there in terms of squashing away uh, the inflation dragon the federal reserve pivot is is likely to come um, middle of next year perhaps at the latest earliest perhaps the end of q1 next year any resolution in uh, ukraine will very obviously assist portfolios and their valuations uh, significantly. Over the long run, yes, progress to be resumed, key themes, um, infrastructure renewal, green energy, uh, the green economy, we see that very much remaining intact. None of those things have gone away, nothing has changed there. There's the potential for earnings growth to be buffered by the uh, most recent uh, recessionary pressures. Uh, but nevertheless, over the long run, we remain bullish for risk assets and look forward to renewed upward progress before too long.